I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science If you changed. count the legal votes, I we easily agree. win. Go for a short it is time to get no, Brexit done. This candle smells like my vagina. It's supposed to be I shouldn't be up here. What I should be back in the schoolroom on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? We all wondered how it was taking Sue Gray so long to establish that there'd been a bloody party. We were thinking maybe her report would come out as a tapestry and she was having trouble embroidering a birthday cake. Perhaps it'll be released as an opera, so it'll cost £60 for a ticket to see it. And then we'll see a chorus of tenors singing, Why do you leave us? Do not forsake us. And then the sopranos will reply, We go to co-op to fetch more wine. In red chiffon dresses. And then a booming bass will roar, It's a workplace meeting. But all in Italian. Or it's possible the report has become more complicated because it turns out Prince Andrew was at one of the parties. Or maybe she can't finish the report because there was a 20-piece swing band playing in the number 10 bathroom throughout the lockdown and 300 people reenacting the Battle of El Alamein in the kitchen and she's got to interview all of them. In 1977, I had a party when my parents went away and they came back to find a lampshade smashed and someone had been sick over the settee, leaving a stain the shape of a map of Cyprus and brown ale had been sprayed on the ceiling and someone had drawn a male organ on the cat's fur with a magic marker pen and my parents went berserk, so they should have been more like Sue and then they'd still be working out what happened and I'd be making a statement once a week that it wouldn't be proper to comment on whether I had had a party and until the report was complete. But now the Met Police have been kind enough to make her job simpler because they insist her investigation should leave out anything about the parties. And an investigation is always easier, I find, if you don't have to include the thing that you are investigating. The plots of detective stories would be so much simpler like this. Sherlock Holmes would investigate the case of the Hound of the Baskervilles with one condition. On no account, Watson, must we mention the Hound or the Baskervilles or anything related to them or the words of and the. To keep the police and the government happy, Sue Gray's report should go, On Tuesday, it was quite sunny. The end. And then she can pad it out with 20 pages of dot-to-dot puzzles and a nice picture of some farmyard animals with suggestions for how to colour them in. The police can make their own lives simpler as well by applying the same rules to themselves. When they investigate a robbery, they can leave out everything about the robbery from their investigation and they'll complete their tasks so much more quickly. When the police announced they were investigating the parties, we were told this meant the report might be delayed for several more weeks, which would be convenient. And maybe the government will keep this going. So next time the report's about to appear, it will be announced that the Vatican are investigating the parties to see whether they constituted a mortal sin. So now the report can't be published until there's a pronouncement from the Pope. And just as the Pope's about to give his verdict, they'll say, I'm sorry, Your Holiness, uh, it's now going to be a 20-part series on Netflix and, and we don't want any spoilers. 
So Johnson's only plan now is to get through the day. He's like the person insisting he's not out of a game of Monopoly, even though he's got £20 left and all the other players have a hotel on all the squares. And in any case, the government supporters now say the whole business of parties against the rules is trivia. Why are we bothering with wine and cakes when there's inflation and there might be a war with Russia? You could argue that an argument about a cake is trivial if the government was in trouble because it suggested using two eggs in a banana sponge and most people thought there should only be one. You could say the issue of them having parties doesn't matter if when he was reading out the rules every single day for several months during lockdown, he'd said, But don't bother sticking with any of this. Uh, you, you can just do whatever you like. I'd invite your mates round and spend all day naked mud wrestling if I was you. Remember, hands, face, cake, bottle, conga. But they insisted we absolutely had to stay alone. Well, they did the opposite. And if you were cynical, you might suspect that if they lie so blatantly about that, it might be possible that they also lied about trade deals and immigration and hospitals and shoveling billions of pounds worth of PPE contracts to their mates and wallpaper. What the fuck is going on? Many people seem really keen at the moment on doing this daily puzzle that's put online called Wordle. Now, I'm not an expert on Wordle, but luckily we have with us someone who is. George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Wordle. Your daily iniquitous linguistic riddle is despicable in its assertion that words should comprise of only five letters. I submitted my solutions to the puzzle set on Tuesday, suggesting the irreproachable words imperialistic, loquaciousness, invidious, boondoggle and indefatigability, all of which were ruled inadmissible by your pernicious and discriminatory algorithm like a medieval despot afraid of the superior intellect of those they encountered. Your insistence upon diminutive words is an egregious insult to a true wordsmith such as myself, who regularly outwits the on-screen competitors attempting to solve the countdown conundrum. I once correctly identified the word bathrooms in less than three seconds. The arbitrary exclusion of words such as pocritudinous, poppingy, axiomatic, anti-disestablishmentarianism and hippopotamus does you no credit. That, Wordle, is why I shall no longer participate in the tomfoolery that you promulgate and will instead post my own word every morning at 7am upon all of my socials. Well, if you are to venture into the quest to find out what the fuck is going on, you couldn't possibly be in a better position in that route of inquiry as I am in now because we had some marvellous people who have tried to help us find out the answer to this, uh, to this question. But with me this week is Mr John Ronson. Good day, sir. Mark, 
So nice to see you. Uh, it's lovely to, to see you in America, I believe. Yes, I'm in New York City. You have pretty much dedicated many years of your life to finding out what the fuck is going on. And <laughs> I think you've got nearer to the answer than almost anyone else. Indeed, in America, which is you know, which is quite a difficult place to even put that question in recent years. It's true. The stories I want to tell are stories where I don't understand something about the world. Like there's something odd happening to the world and I don't understand it and I want to try and solve the mystery. So, yeah, trying to work out what the fuck is going on is a good catch-all term. It is. Uh, I mean, in recent times, you've made two, what do we call them, programmes, podcasts, and been on BBC Sound and so on, sort of on similar themes, if you like. One is about people being publicly shamed and the other is one that you call the culture wars, which... um, like many things, is more magnificently crazy in America than here. You say that, but Brexit... Yes. Like, some things are worse in America, no doubt, and more Baroque. But in general, from where I'm sitting, I think Britain and America seem to have pretty similar problems right now. Well, this is what first thing I wanted to ask you, John, because for some, it's certainly during the Trump years, so many people in Britain, you know, certainly never really went along with this sort of thing, but, oh, I'm not going to America. It's crazy over there. They've just gone mad. Why are they so nuts? The guns and Trump and all the religious right and so on. But now you could forgive Americans for looking at Britain and going, oh, you don't want to go over there. They're mental. Yeah, yeah. It's taking Americans a while. I've been encouraging American friends to watch Prime Minister's questions so they could see how the whole presumably final days of Boris are panning out, or maybe final months of Boris. I'll tell you a big fundamental difference between the British and the American media. The British media is less than it used to be, but basically throughout my life, it was very adversarial. Our heroes were people like Jeremy Paxman, and if you're old enough to remember uh, Sir Robin Day, who yeah. was the, the man who inspired Paxman. So adversarial journalism, adversarial politics, uh, which I imagine comes from the public school system. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's just knee-jerk, you know, if you're an adversarial person, like, I don't know, who popped into my head was Ian Hislop. It's just, it's knee-jerk, it's who you are, it's how you were raised. And I think there's some real problems with it in that it benefits people who handle adversarial situations well, but punishes more thoughtful, quiet, nuanced people who panic and freeze up when in an adversarial situation. So American media isn't anywhere near as adversarial, but what it is instead is very echo chambery. So the right-wing media is only telling that point of view. The left-wing media is very curated to. I I watch CNN every night of the Trump presidency. I watched Anderson Cooper's monologue every night. Anderson Cooper was my cue. But the problem with this like non-adversarial echo chambery type media is that when Trump nearly got a second term and did incredibly well, I was flabbergasted because four years of CNN told you that a terrible mistake has been made. You know, America accidentally made Trump their president, but it's okay. Everybody now knows it's a terrible mistake, except for the few totally insane people. And then he, he almost won. I was amazed because I you know, didn't watch CNN every night, but then I did watch it in the weeks before the election where he was trying to get re-elected. Yeah. And I was amazed at how partisan CNN was. Mm. I had no idea that it was so anti-Trump. And I think it became more partisan. I mean, I'm a perfect microcosm of CNN's business model because I was always a very 
listen to both sides, don't want to be trapped in partisan politics, mm. you know, type of person. But when Trump got elected, the shock of it forced me to a place where clever, articulate people like Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper and Aaron Burnett, all the people who Britain fell in love with in the days leading up to the election, were telling me what I wanted to hear. And there was a real comfort in, in me hearing it. Yes, there's other people who are utterly horrified and disgusted by this presidency. And so we spent four years in this state of, you know, mutual horror and disgust. And there's something kind of engagingly refreshing about how partisan and outspoken CNN is. But I think ultimately, I wish that I'd spent the four years of the Trump presidency watching something that was less curated. Yes, yes. And I can say it's less of a shock. Yeah. So the programme that you made called Things Fell Apart, if I could try to sum it up, I would say that it's an attempt to answer that question away, wasn't it? Because it was sort of each episode was a story about one particular aspect of some sort of um, cultural battle, be it uh, school books, the religious right, you might say, trying to ban books in a certain school and so on, and how the two sides either didn't or did come apart. There's one magnificent episode about the evangelical television station. Yes. And the, he was a priest, wasn't he, with AIDS? Yeah, a gay pastor with AIDS called Steve Peters. Yeah. And I won't give away too much because it is it unfolds in such an extraordinary way, this story. It's episode three of Things Fell Apart. Right. I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. Yeah. Each one is sort of about how far apart the two sides are. And I'm not, you know, I'm not sort of for all being liberal and going... Therefore, they're both equally right and we need to find a compromise mm. in the middle. You know, if there's an absolutely crazy opinion and there's one that is rational, well, let's just be rational half the time and there we've got a nice compromise. I don't agree with that, but I do think <laughs> you have to try and understand why the seemingly irrational people think the way they do. And yeah. I think that's what sort of came out of your, your programme, really. Try and find a way of engaging with people rather than just screaming and yelling all in on Twitter or whatever. Absolutely. It was just demonstrably does no good. And I, when I was writing my public shaming book, so you've been publicly shamed, I, I, was, I was watching this. This was before Trump and Brexit. And I'd see it over and over again. I'd watch some kid say something, you know, somebody with like 100 Twitter followers say something that came out wrong. They were well-intentioned, but it came out wrong. They got piled in on. And who was waiting with their arms wide open was the right, was people like Milo Yiannopoulos and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I was sensing that real worry there that people, you know, just regular people who didn't even have a particular ideology. You know, when... They were being attacked. They felt welcomed by the right. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, what, what you say is true. It's true. Like, both sides in things has become an insult for quite good reasons, because I think a lot of people who both sides things are committing false equivalencies, like Trump saying there was many fine people on both sides at, at Charlottesville. Yes. I've got to say, when Trump said that, my heart sank because it's like you just hammered the final nail in the coffin of people who want to hear both sides when you make that fucking false equivalency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, because Martin Luther King had his moments, but then the Ku Klux Klan aren't all bad either. So let's find some way in the middle. <laughs> Wear a sheet on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday. 
But blessedly, and I hope this never goes away, I'm one of the few people who feels like people have decided it's okay when I do it because I'm aware of the imbalances, I'm aware of the ways that you get it wrong, and yet I'm just very gently trying to bring different conversations in so people, you know, can think of culture war stories not as something that will inflame you. Most culture war podcasts are intended to inflame people. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Things Fell Apart, I hope, doesn't inflame people. Maybe the odd moment will inflame people. But mainly it's about curiosity and empathy as opposed to, like, rage and judgment. So it's just bringing something, it's bringing a different colour to the palette. Yes. Well, I think, yeah, from a comics point of view, I think it's... we, we end up sort of being full of rage and, and judgment. But I think, strangely, if you sort of display rage and judgment with a little bit of empathy, you can end up sort of with most people that you're raging in judgment against, hmm. sort of not minding, really. I don't know. I think they can see it in your eyes that you don't hate them. You think it's mm-hmm. nuts, but you don't hate them. I mean, that certainly happened in Britain through the Brexit times. There were certain people that comics you know brilliant comics but they'd go to an ear and say i can't go there because i did me stuff about brexit and they all went berserk and walked right. out whatever i didn't find that really maybe that's because i'm soft on it i don't know but i'd like to think it's because i was thinking oh this is bonkers isn't it rather than mm. your bonkers. yes yes absolutely there's all sorts of reasons why people slide into bad ideologies and quite often it's got nothing to do with them i mean one of the reasons is i look at an episode five of things fell apart is the fact that the internet was created by libertarian engineers yeah yeah, yeah. like you think what's that got to do with me but the fact is it really does because they created a tone on the internet which we've all lived under ever since yes i've got a line i was doing where i'll say there's nothing you could put on twitter that won't enrage someone if you could put i'm enjoying a delightful sunset across dorset this evening someone would put not so enjoyable if you suffer from sunset aversion dorset syndrome Uh actually i had one of those the other day i never tweet personal stuff anymore i only use it to alert people to new work but when i fell over and broke my shoulder two weeks ago i tweeted it and i made a little joke about how they put a thing around my wrist at the hospital that said fall risk and i like made a joke about how you know i fell one time um, right, right, right. straight away i got a reply that said well my husband died and i wish <laughs> and i wish somebody had put a full risk oh. thing about his wrist Oh, Um, no. I know, I know. Oh, so they must sit there waiting for people to make what they see as inappropriate remarks about bad shoulders to see whether they've been sufficiently (laughs) serious about it. Uh, Oh, God forbid that anybody... (laughs) I did actually put a thing about... uh, I mentioned at one point about Trump being a psychopath, but I can't can't remember what the original point was. Mm. And I got four separate replies that said... Don't add to the stigma against psychopaths. (laughs) That's interesting. Well, I wrote a book about psychopaths, so my brain is worrying about what you just said. In my book, The Psychopath Test, the first half of the book is is about learning how to spot psychopaths and, you know, the checklist and all the kind of, you know, clever, devious ways that you can, you know, out a psychopath just by the clever ways that you steer the conversation and so on. And then the second half of the book is me reflecting on the fact that I got drunk with power with my psychopath spotting abilities and started just accusing
convincing everybody who'd ever crossed <laughs> me of being a psychopath. And, and so it then becomes a story about the problems of, you know, mental health labelling. So I spent like years thinking really about both sides of it. Like, when is mental health labelling positive and helpful? And of course, psychopaths do exist, like they're real. Mm. And so are, you know, narcissists. But there's a real problem with over-labelling. It can, it can sort of force a conformity to the world and so on. But, you know, this, so I've had so many people asking me, you know, is Trump a psychopath, is Boris a psychopath? You know, I'm asked this more than ever. And I always try to avoid answering because I think there is a problem with being an armchair psychologist. But right. at the same time, I, I do have opinions on, on whether, whether they are or not psychopaths or narcissists. Well, two things, Alistair. I think one thing is that it's not the main problem. See, I don't think Boris Johnson's the problem. If we lived in a society that wasn't completely do-lally from top to bottom, Boris Johnson would just be a crazy person sitting on a bench screaming that he wanted to shut down Parliament and may or may not support Brexit, depending on what... And people would go, oh, there's that mental person who sits on a bench just outside Eton, screaming. But somehow we have a system that encourages these people. Yeah. And the worst facets of these people, the same with Trump. Trump was the right. problem. He's a complete, awful, awful, appalling human being who shouldn't have been near a television studio, let alone the presidency. Right. Well, regardless of whether or not Boris is a psychopath, what's undoubtedly true is that our systems, um, some of our systems, capitalism, politics, religion can reward psychopathic behaviour. I mean, certainly in business, if you've got a failing company and you want a new CEO who's completely happy to fire 30% of the workforce, much better to get a psychopath to do it because they've got no conscience about it. Yes. So, yes, yeah, psychopathy is rewarded in our system, there's no doubt. So if you go to certain jobs then, if you went to an interview and they said, now, we must ask you, are you a psychopath? You went, I am, as it happens, yes. They'd go... Excellent. Well, I think not officially. A man called Paul Babiak, whose job was to do that, go in to the HR departments and assess the candidates. I think probably, you know, secretly, without them knowing, assess them for psychopathic traits. And he said that they always said to him, we're doing this to weed them out. But he always left slightly worried <laughs> that, <laughs> that they were going to give him the job. Uh, Mr. Burns. Yeah. <laughs> Incidentally, just while I remember, I did also think of you the other night because I was doing a show, very a lovely audience in East Grinstead at the theatre there. And uh, of course, that would be a place that you would have visited for your research on the uh, Scientologists. Yeah, absolutely. Were there any Scientologists in the audience that you know of? Well, I don't know. But what surprised me, I really, it was so sweet. Everyone there was so lovely. And the woman who worked at the theatre there, I was talking to when I got there, was telling me that there are quite a lot of Scientologists just in the town. So their presence there one way or another, they have recruited quite a few people. She said, oh, yeah, I think the woman who does my hair is one of them. So just like in Utah, in Salt Lake City, there'd be quite a lot of Mormons because that's the centre of the church. Obviously, I think they've managed that in East Grinstead. Right. Yeah. Do you want to hear my weirdest Scientology story that I've never yes. like written about or told anyone? Yes. OK, I'm going to caveat it. Well, I'll caveat it at the appropriate time. So there's a town in Florida 
and I've forgotten the name, I think it might be St. Petersburg or it might be something else, that's like East Grinstead, it's like Scientology headquarters, and they own a very fancy hotel there that they've that still, I think, acts as a hotel with a restaurant, but it's also Scientology offices and so on. So I was invited in 2010, this is, before the Psychopath Test came out, I was invited to have lunch there by Tommy Davis, who at the time was second or third in command of the entire Church of Scientology. He's the guy who who John Sweeney yelled at, if you remember that. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah I remember, yeah. Looks like Tom Cruise and was also Tom Cruise's right. Scientology handler. So when they were together, they was just two men looking like Tom Cruise, one of whom was Tom Cruise. Um, so <laughs> anyway, so I'm having lunch with Tommy Davis and his wife, Jessica, nice. I mean, they were giving me the hard sell, but it wasn't any different from, you know, being with like a sort of aggressive Hollywood agent or something. It was, it was like perfectly nice. And I kind of knew, I was, I was good with them at sort of setting boundaries. Like, like at one point they said to me, will you take part in one of our videos? And I said, no. And they said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and the lunch, by the way, was at the patio. There was fountains, there was loads of waiters, all the tables were full. It was like a bustling place. I can't imagine Scientologists to take you to a sort of bacon, eggs and fried bread place. <laughs> I know, right? This was very fancy. It's like Four Seasons yeah. type fancy. So I had lunch with them and I left and I got back to my less fancy hotel and I realised I couldn't find my sunglasses. I, I looked in my car, they weren't there. I thought, oh God, I, I must have left them back at the place. So I went back to the place. Now, it was an hour or two later and I knocked on the door and this kind of it creaked open and this face went, what? And I said, oh, I was just here having lunch with Tommy Davis. Um, I think I might have left my sunglasses. And he kind of went, wait there. So I closed the door and then and I came back and said, okay, you know, have a, have a look. So I came in. And the place was empty. Like, it was dark and empty. There was no lunch fun, no waiters. And either, yeah, either it's just a coincidence and in the couple of hours after I had lunch, everybody just left and it was just normal. Or they put on a show for me. Oh, my God. That's really eerie, isn't it? Yeah. The last thing I said, well, I suppose it's obvious we've been talking about it. What should we know about? Tell us what the podcasts are that we can listen to. Well, the two things that we discussed were Things Fell Apart, my BBC podcast, which is now available, like all podcasts everywhere all over the world. And we also talked about my book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which came out in 2015, but still feels relevant. And if you want a sample of that, Mark was listening to some little abridged excerpts that I recorded for BBC Sounds. So if you like the sound of the excerpts, then um, maybe buy the whole book. Oh, no, they're absolutely marvellous. And I, things fell apart, sort of kept me vaguely sane during a very, very foggy night about three weeks ago when I was driving back from Hereford. So if you're driving back from Hereford on a foggy night... I'd particularly recommend them. Oh, how nice. John, it's been absolutely brilliant. I so wish we could um, carry on talking for several months. Well, it was such a delight. Thank you so much. Your shoulder is, uh, is better. Yeah, and I've got to get to Penn Station. I'm going to walk in the snow with a broken shoulder to Penn Station, so pray for me. Oh, that sounds so romantic. Well, unless I fucking fall over again. I'm a fall risk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think you should joke about it, actually, because I woke up with quite a stiff shoulder this morning, and that is a really serious issue, and I don't think it's something you should make fun of. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on?
Now, a lot of people at the moment are very, very concerned about the worsening situation in Ukraine. In particular, this woman who I overheard in a cafe. Well, I heard Richard Madeley on Good Morning Britain the other day said there's going to be a war between Russia and Ukraine, and I thought, this is awful. It's an absolute tragedy in the making, because our latest nanny's from Ukraine, and now she's talking about going back there to look after her family. And I said, well, if you're going to look after two families, we're going to have to halve your wages, so you really need to think about your priorities. And she said, but my grandmother lives on the border. There's a Russian tank in her garden. I said, that's all very well, but what about Nectarine's piano practice? And she just started wailing about Putin's human rights record. Well, yes, he has people poisoned, but Tara from the spin class ate some tarragon that was passed at sell-by date, and she survived. I asked Colin to have a word with her. He's head of marketing for Pringles across the whole of the Reigate area, and he tried to cheer her up by giving her an empty tube of Pringles and saying, tell your grandmother to use this as a rocket launcher. And she started sobbing in a foreign language. But that's the trouble with people. It's just me, me, excuse me. This keto flatbread tastes of Novichok. Can I have another one? Oh, what the fuck is going on? So, devotees of the WTF is going on world. There is a big announcement because there will soon be huge opportunities. I'm auditioning here for voiceovers for, I don't know, cars and things. Huge opportunities because we are very soon on the podcast going to be going on Patreon and there's going to be all sorts of extraordinarily marvellous things that will be available to you if you become a supporter of the podcast by paying a modest sum each month on all those things that they say on annoying adverts on the radio. For example, you'll be able to get the podcast without all the, uh, let's be honest, irritating adverts in the middle. And there'll be possibly extra things we haven't quite worked out yet. I've been told I must not overpromise because I was going to say we come round and do it in your house or you we can translate it into a language of your choice. But those are probably promises that are a bit too far. But that is going to happen very, very soon. And there'll be all the details of that next week. Also we can talk about some of the things that you have asked us. What the fuck is going on with us? At Chadders11 tells us that (laughs) there has been reporting on a woman who collects plastic bags and she's collected 10,000. Now, that is magnificent. First of all, because of what a stupid thing to collect. I presume maybe they're really nice plastic bags. It's not because it's got 10,000 that have all got Tesco on the side which probably most people have that in a cupboard because you always go out and think, oh, shit, I've left the 10,000 bags at home. But also, (laughs) 10,000 is not that many, is it? If you set yourself a task of collecting plastic bags, it wouldn't take long to get to 10,000, would it? But bless her for that marvellous piece of unnecessary hoarding in these times. They'll Attenborough be round there later. Look at this. This is how the planet was destroyed. This one woman with her 10,000 bags is solely responsible for the extinction of the dolphin. At Highbury, John says, what the fuck is going on with Spotify and its anti-vax stance against Neil Young and Joni Mitchell? Well, I don't know. I would imagine what is going on is that Spotify bought for something like $100 million all the Joe Rogan programmes, past, present and future. And now they've pretty much got to take (laughs) Joe Rogan's side, no matter what nonsense he comes out with. They've really got to back him, haven't they? Against Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, who probably aren't worth $100 million of content on Spotify. I think that's probably what's going on. Really would be astonished if Spotify said, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to cut our losses we're going to lose the 100 million dollars 
Joe Rogan can go somewhere else. But that does mean we get Neil Young and Joni Mitchell back. That would be my choice, but far be it for me to understand how business works. At Baker Paintings says, this takes some beating. Kent Online. And I'm only going to read the headline. Does the rest of it matter? Minister steps in human poo in lay-by on Brexit trip to Kent. Oh, our, of course he does. And that wouldn't be a story if he'd just gone, oh, for goodness sake, I've trodden in some human poo on a lay-by on the A2, for goodness sake. But he probably did it on purpose. Johnson probably said, right, I don't know what, so how we how we get the, the, the parties and all that. Uh, is anyone, can anybody go down to, to somewhere past Chatham and stand in some poo? Maybe that'll uh, take their, their mind off it. In, in Kent and of course the Conservative Party MPs no shortage of going please Mr Johnson pick me pick me pick me to stand in the poo what the fuck is Now, it's impossible to know what the fuck is going on unless you listen to all sorts of different opinions. And we're very lucky to have with us someone who is the master of gently teasing out opinions, talk show host, Mike Concrete. Now, our next guest is a space boffin. They've discovered a new star or something. They think it might be a neutron star, whatever that is. Uh, Here to explain is Professor Andrew Kelman. Andrew! What's all the fuss about? Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it's a very exciting discovery because uh, this object is an exact match for a predicted class of neutron star with an ultra-powerful magnetic field. So this leads us to the conclusion... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, mate. Hang on, mate. Yes, sorry, I I know it's a bit complex and the words are a bit big. Where's the professor? Oh, I, I am the professor. I'm the senior lecturer of astrophysics at John Moores. What have you done? kidnapped him and stolen his car so you can claim his wages as well as your benefits. Is that it? Uh, sorry? I, I, so I was invited on to talk about this new star we've discovered. You know, I'm currently investigating antimatter. Never mind antimatter. I bet it's anti-theft devices you're worried about. Investigate those, do you? Before you nick the wheels off a car and put it on bricks or whatever it is you get up to. So, what, what are you trying to say? I knew a bloke from Liverpool once. You know where he is now? Prison. Selling drugs or something. You're all at it up there. Look at Pablo Escobar. <laughs> Pablo Escobar's not from Liverpool. Yes, he is. See you, mate. That's enough of that crook. Is it any wonder there's a crisp shortage? Here's Eric Clapton with the latest transfer deadline news. What the fuck is going on? Now, as anybody knows, if they've even tried, even in an amateur way... To find out what the fuck is going on, you've got to use the sort of breadth of the generation's knowledge. And that's why uh, some years ago I bred someone so that they would be able to furnish me with all the thoughts and attitudes of the younger generation as we march forward towards oblivion on this planet. With us is Elliot Steele, no less. Hello, Elliot. Hello. Hello. You get brighter and bubblier with every passing moment. You're like Holly Willoughby. There's a war going on. Where? Fucking over in Eastern Europe. They're always <laughs> at war with each other. Well, they're not always. What, what is this? Um, so this is Russia and Ukraine. I'm surprised that they've not come to you more often, really, on Newsnight and some of the sort of special Radio 4 things that they have. Just let them have it. Who cares? <laughs> Fucking one less shitty team we have to play in the Euros if they have it. 
bunch of players whose names I can't pronounce. I can't be bothered. No, I thought you'd been studying this. What are you doing all day on the internet? I thought you were just studying this. Well, okay, basically, here, here's the reason why. If you, if you want to actually know why Russia wants to take Ukraine, it's flat, so you would have to you would invade through Ukraine because it's strategically. If you think about it from Russia's point of view, you've got NATO on the doorstep. Yeah. Whereas if you watch Western media, it's just basically like, oh, the evil Russians—they're gonna, you know, we've all seen Air Force One. We know what they're like. But this doesn't make the podcast as fun. If I actually know these, <laughs> it's not as enjoyable. Is it? We all know what my role is. Well, there's no, like, you can't be ignorant on purpose. Is that what people are doing now? You get far more listeners if you know fuck all. Is that what's going to catch on? Well, all right. Then, and then well, it will be all professors and that. Yeah. And they will be just like you were just doing. You know, today we're discussing the booming economy in South Korea. With us is the South Korean diplomat. Oh, fucking hell, I don't know why it's bloody booming, do I? That's not what he would sound like. Go on, then. Do a South Korean accent. Go on, then. Let's see how many bookings you get on Radio 4. <laughs> Go on, then. <laughs> you know the difference between a South Korean one and a North Korean one? Oh, hello. Welcome to South Korea. <laughs> For some reason, he's African. <laughs> That's got the feel of racism, but you don't know where, so you can't get me on it. <laughs> right, so the trouble is, some people not a million miles away from people who might be weekly guests on this podcast might suggest that there is something benign about Russia. I always find it a bit strange, this. There are people that loved Russia when it was part of the Soviet Union because they saw it as being a socialist country. Yeah, fucking mental. Well, yeah, but even more mental is that even though the current Russia is the complete negation of that, or says it is, that they still sort of somehow support Russia, whether it's Russia in who was back in... Uh, Assad in Syria or elsewhere in the world and still do now, you know. So, oh, Russia has the right. It's almost a superior. It's almost the good guys. Uh, I get what you're saying, but I think like America, Russia and China and Britain and everyone is all as bad as each other and are self-serving. So you've just got to accept you are supporting one side because you live there, if that makes any sense. Like the West can't be like, oh my God, Russia's about to invade somewhere. This threatens the peace. And you're like, wait a second. Why do we have the Falklands? Didn't America, like, any time there was, like, a slight left-wing government in South America, you know, then start allowing coke dealers to make routes through there as long as they would also arm the Nicaraguans? Didn't the CIA destabilize loads of governments and then eventually have to be reined in and they also assassinated JFK. Do you know what I mean? You can't just... Well, we don't know about JFK, but possibly. Allende in Chile was definitely assassinated by CIA-backed people, yeah. But there was a slogan many years ago, neither Washington nor Moscow, which indeed was, amongst other things, the name of a magnificent album by a band called The Redskins. Who said not Washington nor Moscow? The Socialist Workers' Party slogan was because... Oh, that's good. What, what are they up to now? Let's get them back in charge. They sound like they're really with it. Well, that, I'm not sure that would be a very good idea either, but their slogan... Oh, really? Why not? Well, they sound like they have it together. That sounds like a really smart thing to say. Well, they've got those four words together. <laughs> it's when it comes to words five, six, seven, it starts to go wrong. But, <laughs> but neither Washington or Moscow, I think, was a brilliant slogan, particularly because almost 
anyone in the world who considered themselves a socialist outside of the traditional Labour parties around the world, and indeed many people who were in the traditional Labour parties, they thought that Russia was some sort of socialist state, however, little things around the edges that weren't quite right. And so neither Washington or Moscow was a slogan of people who said, well, no, I don't think you could be a socialist unless you oppose both yeah. the Soviet Union. Well, Tony Cliff, who fashioned the idea, he said the USSR stood for the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, and it's based on four lies. There's no unions, no Soviets, it's not socialist, and there are no republics. That's the theory of neither Washington or Moscow. And of course, it was a brutal, horrible, terrible, dictatorial, tyrannical, filthy regime that you had to queue all day for whatever you wanted, a pound of apples. Do you think I could get drafted if a war does kick off? Do you want to be? Well, not really, but I always think when things like this kick off, where are the feminists? How do you get to that? They're all up like, where is bloody going How's it their fault? Neither Washington nor Moscow nor the feminists. Well, they're always fucking banging on about how they want the same rights as men. I'm about to get a draft letter. How do you get to that? Elliot has been magnificently eloquent and erudite, a youthful look on global geopolitics, and then suddenly, just at the end, I'll tell you what's really the problem, not the Russians, it's them giving it all that. I'm not saying that they're the problem. I'm just saying they bang on about wanting free tampons. They need to learn how to use a machine gun. That's all I'm saying. A bit of you that's from 1952. They're on their keep. We have to read about the wage gap and all of this, and it goes on and on, and now... Oh, Jesus Christ. I want them, if I'm getting drafted, they have to be drafted as well. Equal rights. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have here on A Week (laughs) on Politics on the BBC World Service. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Thank you very much for explaining what the fuck is going on. (laughs) What the fuck is going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, please subscribe, rate it. If you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, absolutely definitely write a review. And if there's anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod and we would look at all the messages you send. What the Fuck is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests John Ronson and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. Produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the Fuck is Going On is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries. <laughs>